Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madhvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madhvi, what's the topic this week? So a couple of weeks ago, in the chaos of a Monday morning, when we were both trying to get ready, get to work, catch up with the news and check social media, you sent me a message and it said, did Will Smith just punch someone? And I replied, wow, no idea, but if he did, they probably deserved it. So you were referring to this incident at the Oscars where the comedian Chris Rock made a joke about Jade Pinkett Smith, who is Will Smith's wife and who suffers from alopecia. Alopecia is a condition where you lose your hair. And Will Smith basically got up and slapped him. And then this story became a big meme and conversation and dominated the news ever since. And just recently, at the end of this week, the Academy Awards said that they are banning Will Smith from all awards for 10 years, which is a really big reaction. And they said also in their statement that they do not condone violence of any kind. You and I had this discussion about whether we should even discuss this or not, because it seems very ridiculous that this slap is getting so much reaction. But then on the other hand, the fact that it's getting so much reaction is actually something to talk about. Like, why... Is there so much reaction to this and outrage and discussion and attention instead of there's Yemen, there's Tigray, there's war, there's people starving, there's climate change? This has dominated the news, which is basically a story about privileged people at an award ceremony that doesn't really matter or impact anyone really, and an action that was actually really relatively very small. But yeah, I think the fact that the conversation is dominant is interesting. And also the fact that the response from all different sides, there have been so many responses, they reveal so much about society in general and culture in general that I think it is worth discussing. There is a lot of complexity here. And one of the things that's become apparent, I think, in this conversation and also that's apparent in the world in general is that people want everything to fit into a clean narrative. This is good. This is bad. He should have done this or he shouldn't have done this. There was a right and there's a wrong. And yeah, I think this is a tendency that we all need to disrupt and fight against. Today, I'd really like to discuss the complexities of this slap that happened at the Oscars. Yeah, when I opened my phone to check Instagram and the news, as someone who doesn't watch the Oscars, it just exploded with all of this stuff with like, Will Smith, Will Smith. And I was like, whoa, 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 what happened? Like, I had no idea. It was very overwhelming. There were a lot of pieces that were released the next morning about the incident. And a lot of them ignored the intersection of, you know, race and sexism in this moment And they made the issue seem like it was a very, very simple thing. Like what happened was just, oh, a man slapped another man because he insulted his wife. But then they didn't take into consideration, okay, what are the power dynamics at play here? What does it mean for a black man at a mainly white event to mock a black woman who is, you know, one of the most oppressed groups of people specifically or in particular in the United States? 
What does it mean for a black man to mock a black woman and another black man to stand up for her? Like there were so many intricacies there at play there that none of them took into consideration. And then also, you know, the fact that Harvey Weinstein or Polanski or Woody Allen has an Oscar, like, or Jim Carrey came out and spoke out against this incident. Like he didn't jump up on stage and like force himself upon Alicia Silverstone at the Oscars many years ago. And if you watch the clip, you can like, first of all, he didn't ask her if she could do it. And second of all, she visibly pushes him away. So you're like, the hypocritical nature of everyone to automatically jump to condone this incident while at the same time perpetrating incidents of similar nature, just in different ways, is so hypocritical. And yeah, I mean... It was kind of sad to see the fact that it was the only thing dominating the media that week. As you know, there's stuff happening all around the world, but I guess that's the way the world works, right? Like we only have the attention span, specifically Western media only has the attention span for one thing at a time. It's like, Corona's over now that we are facing a war in the Ukraine. It's like, yes, the people in Ukraine definitely deserve attention, but Corona's not over. Yemen's not over. Like, we can't focus on more than one thing at a time. We're such a sensationalist society. Yeah, the absolute hypocrisy and racism on display here is astounding. If we take a similar situation where Adrian Brody basically assaulted Halle Berry also on stage when he went up to get his Oscar, he went up and just decided to kiss her also full on the mouth. And her response afterwards was like, I didn't know what the fuck was happening. Same with Alicia Silverstone, who at that time she was 20 and Jim Carrier was 35. And he just went on and full on just stuck his tongue down her mouth. And this idea that Hollywood or the Academy Awards does not condone violence is just a farce and a joke. And if they're going to ban Will Smith, if that's going to be their line, ban a black man for basically defending a black woman. And like you said, it's one of the very few instances where a black woman has been defended in public. In this sense, the response between white people like Jim Carrey and black people has been kind of different. So Tiffany Haddish, who is a black actor and comedian who starred with Jada Pinkett Smith in Girls Trip, told People magazine, when I saw a black man stand up for his wife, that meant so much to me. And also Roxane Gay, who we'll come to in a minute, she wrote an opinion piece on this. She also pointed out this was the week where we saw Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson just get so much misogyny and racism when she was trying to enter the Supreme Court. And she just had to not lose her temper, not get emotional and deal with it. Serena and Venus Williams, they got shot on by the director, James Campion, the other day, who said, oh yeah, you have not had to deal with the guys that I've had to compete against, which was totally unnecessary kind of comment and derivation and dismissive of their achievements. And so all of these black women normally, they just get so much shit and they are rarely defended and they have to take it with grace and composition which they always do and so I think you're right this is one of those rare moments so yeah just going back to the hypocrisy if you even think about Mel Gibson Mel Gibson I remember at some point there was a recording of him shouting at his ex-girlfriend Oscana Grigor Riva and on the tape he's heard saying you go out in public and it's a fucking embarrassment to me. You look like a fucking bitch on heat. 
And if you get raped by a pack of, and then the N-word, it will be your fault. Like, what? Plus, you know, he's had all these anti-Semitic and racist sort of rants in the past. Harvey Weinstein, who's 81 Oscars, was convicted of rape. And then also, when you mentioned Polanski, Polanski actually got an Oscar after he pleaded guilty to statutory rape. So... That's just racial discrimination in action, whereas where all these white men can get away with things that a black man simply cannot. I think when I wrote that comment about, you know, just without even knowing the situation, yeah, if he did slap someone, they probably deserved it. That was sort of along the right lines because there is a justification there and he did it out of defense of a person that he loves. His wife, you could see her face just fall when this comment was made. And it comes after years of Chris Rock just picking on Jada Pinkett Smith. He's been going after her for quite a long time and he's been making those comments and at some point I guess Will Smith just snapped and we're not condoning violence in any way. However, if you put it in relation to everything else that Hollywood does, not least make films that glorify these ideas of masculinity and male violence and, you know, violence in general... And then to turn around with this statement, it's just so much hypocrisy. <laughs> it's awful. I mean, Hollywood only likes violence when they are the ones in control of the violence, right? They only like it when it plays along their lines. If the white men could be the heroes or they can benefit from the violence, the gaze of the violence. The fact that Roman Polanski has not been arrested, the fact that Roman Polanski is still free, the fact that people, Scarlett Johansson, who is, I hate Scarlett Johansson. Well, she never does anything right. Like, she plays a Japanese character in a movie. She writes a letter defending Roman Polanski. You're like, honey, take a look around at the world. What are you doing? I just, I don't understand her. And then the fact that she's still out here making movies and everyone still loves her. I'm like, this woman is so problematic and she keeps doing bad things. What? Scarlett Johansson, get it together. But about Jaded Pinkett Smith, about her alopecia, you know, the fact that everybody was like laughing about the joke kind of also points to this thing in Hollywood that it's okay to make fun of people with disability. If society has showed us anything, specifically when it comes to mainstream culture in the United States, if you see the way that disability is used as inspiration porn. It's, you know, it's used in that way. And then also you have Donald Trump going up on stage and openly mocking people with disability. So for Chris Rock to go on stage and to mock her, to mock her hair loss, to mock her disease, that's just not okay. That's not cool, obviously. And the fact that everyone was laughing is like, cool, maybe we should be talking about the fact that everyone's, you know, openly okay with mocking a woman with a disease. That's a really terrible and shitty thing to do too. Why is that not the conversation we're having here? In one of her books, Bell Hooks writes about power structures, specifically the intersection of things like socioeconomic power structures. And she speaks about how black women in the United States are the most oppressed group because not only do they have to deal with bullshit from everybody, in one of the essays, she speaks about how Black men in the United States are put into this really, really difficult position because as a man, you are expected to live a life of masculinity. 
but then the social defining components of what it means to be a man, such as acquiring status or wealth or certain prestiges, black men are often excluded from a lot of these indicators through a racist society. In terms of toxic masculinity, the only indicator of masculinity that they have left towards them is sort of violence and power in this way, physical power, because, you know, we expect man to be big and to be strong. But we've seen the outrage that comes when black men are violent towards white people, specifically white women. So in terms of the power hierarchy that exists, the only people that they have to enact their power on is black women. And so in the hierarchy of power that exists within a racist structure, black women are all the way at the bottom. So yeah, we've indoctrinated young men with toxic masculinity for years and then are confused when they act on the toxic masculine traits that we've told them they have to have. But isn't it kind of refreshing that instead of him enacting his power onto his wife, he was like, actually, no, I'm going to defend her because in terms of power structures within this country, within this society, within this industry, she is all the way at the bottom and I am going to defend her. And that's not to say that violence is right. And I mean, Will Smith has a lot of these things, right? He does have prestige and he does have power and he does have wealth. And I think that's kind of why your comment makes sense a little bit because Will Smith is like thoroughly unproblematic. He's kind of just like, yeah, that's Will Smith. He seems like a loving father. You know, he and his wife, they're doing their own thing. Haven't really followed their marriage too closely, but they've been together for many years. He hasn't been me too, as far as I know. Maybe he has. Correct me if I'm wrong. He seems like a great dad. He seems like he's done a great job with his children. He's a good actor. He makes music. He seems so lovely and fine. That's why you're like, well, he's this amazing person. If he's punched someone, then they probably deserved it. It's interesting what you were saying about the power structures there, because in Will Smith's memoir, he talks about how his father was abusive to his mother. And one of the things that he feels sorry about is the fact that he couldn't protect his mother. So you can see him like now in this situation, protecting his wife. Yeah, it's quite funny because when Jim Carrey spoke about this, and Jim Carrey, by the way, in a outrageously disconnected move and a weird interview said, first of all, he was sickened by the standing ovation that Will Smith got, and also that he's suing him personally for $200 million for this slap, because he ruined, you know, the night, basically. And also, he said something funny about, like, I feel like he was projecting onto Will Smith and said, oh, he's, you know, he's going through his own things, and he was obviously very, you know, selfish in this moment, which some of that could be true, of course, but I think... Jim Carrey has also had his own demons and, you know, he's an alcoholic and there's a lot of stuff going on there. And I feel like everyone was just projecting their own stuff onto Will Smith, whereas I can see why Will Smith would want to defend his wife. Also, there's a lot of complexity here with Chris Rock. There was some fake news going around about Chris Rock having apologized. He has not apologized for making this joke. But Chris Rock is interesting because Chris Rock, who has a daughter, realized and he must have known all along because he's a black man, that hair for black women is a very important thing. He made this film called Good Hair after he had his daughter and he was like kind of horrified about all the things that black women have to do to straighten their hair, to make it more basically white looking, to make it acceptable and not scary to society and 
kind of fit society's white beauty standards and things like this. And, you know, the amount of chemicals that go into treating black hair and the amount of damage that is done, the amount of weaves and expense and all of this stuff that black women go through. So I think he said something about, oh, I didn't know she had alopecia, which I don't think is right, because actually she's spoken very openly about this. And he's in showbiz. I mean, he knows, I'm pretty sure he knows about this. And even if he didn't know about it, he knows black women and hair is a thing. And also within the black community and for black women, especially natural hair discrimination is a thing. So a lot of school policies and also work policies in the US, they ban natural hair and protective styles, so braids and things like that. So if you're a black child or a black woman, you cannot enter a lot of workplaces, universities, schools, just because of your natural hair. And that's what prompted this thing called the Crown Act, which stands for Creating a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair. And it's a law that prohibits race-based hair discrimination, which is the denial of employment and educational opportunities because of hair texture and protective hairstyle. So this has been adopted by only 13 states or 28 municipalities in the US. And it's a massive form of discrimination against black women in the US. So again, like you see this like Chris Rock kind of going for an easy target, which he knows is going to be painful in some way. So going back to Roxane Gay, who has amazing opinions and everything, she wrote an interesting essay in the New York Times about this concept of thick skin. She says, it's all very well and good that, of course, comedians should have free speech and be able to do whatever they want. However, there's a strange idea that there is a nobility in tolerating, or better yet, enjoying humour that attacks who you are and what you do and how you look, and that with free speech comes the obligation to turn the other cheek to rise above and to laugh it all off. So if you don't laugh along, you're humourless and you're thin-skinned and you're the problem. But of course, people have the right also to react and say like, I don't find that funny. I find that offensive. And why should their free speech or reactions also be censored? Of course, not condoning violence, but the fact that Jada and her husband are just supposed to like laugh at this is is interesting, right? And she says also, all these people who are like, oh, you need a thicker skin. This is a quote. Who is served by all this thick skin? Those who want to behave with impunity. If the targets of derision only had thicker skin, their aggressors could say or do as they please. If we all had the thickest of skins, no one would have to take responsibility for cruelties, big or small. And I think she's got a really good point about this. Will Smith did react emotionally, but also reacting emotionally or being offended by something is not a terrible thing. If we were all so thick-skinned, we wouldn't feel anything. Also because it plays into this stereotype that black women are strong, right? They can just put up with anything, which is like such positive discrimination. I don't know if that's, is that positive discrimination? Because I feel like positive discrimination is things like, you know, Asian people are good at math, where you're like, oh, that sounds like a compliment. You're like, no, that's the opposite of a compliment. And it's the same thing here. It's like, yeah, you rob them of their humanity, of their ability to be anything else. Black women don't have to be strong all the time. Where they're not allowed to be human, 
they have to be strong all the time. I'm like, no, we all get to be fragile just because, you know, they have been conditioned by society to put up with so much terrible abuse doesn't mean they should have to. And it doesn't mean that they're strong. Also, I hate the fact that as a society, we have decided that being strong means how much abuse you can put up with. Like, holy shit, leave them alone. Just let them be who they want to be. Let them live their lives. Damn it, let them be weak. Let them be strong. Let them just, ah, is the only reaction I have to that, which is very articulate and love using words specifically on a podcast. Totally. And a lot of stereotypes were at play here because you see a black man do one violent thing. And then automatically it gets turned into, you know, black violence and the danger of black men. And then there's a really big reaction against it. I was also thinking about this very recently when I saw Bad Vegan on Netflix, which to me, there were so many complexities there and I don't think it was so easy. So Bad Vegan is a story about this woman called Sama. She's blonde white woman she's a vegan she starts one of like new york's first raw food vegan restaurants and then she is conned by an abusive partner into wiring him a bunch of money and he kind of convinces her that there's another sort of reality or dimension that he's a secret agent of that can promise her and her dog eternal life yeah this was like my very first critique of the movie i don't even know if critique is the right word because it's never actually fully explained what he convinced her of and what he told her he was of like we get snippets through their conversations that she's recorded but at the same time you're like wait what is he promising you he just keeps saying he has to put you through these tests and you have to give him money but we we don't get the full story it's so confusing yeah thanks for helping me out there i was a bit struggling to like i would recommend everyone watch it because it is a bit mind-blowing but anyway, the real point is she has this restaurant and then she doesn't pay her staff and she takes money out of the restaurant. It's fraud. It's a white collar crime. And throughout the documentary in the way she presents, the way she talks, the way she gives her side of the story, which is also super frustrating that the interviewer didn't push her more. But it leaves you it leaves you with a lot of open questions. I'm sure both of us were kind of flabbergasted by it. But for example, they go on the run after the staff are not paid and she's taken all this money. And then the interviewer asks her, so, you know, you're on the run. And she says, no, I wasn't thinking about it, you know, as being on the run. And then the interviewer says, yes, but you were using a different name. She was like, yes, we were using a different name. And yes, I covered up my tattoo on my arm, so I was not recognized, but I didn't think about it as going on the run. And at that point, I was thinking, well, you're playing into your role as poor innocent a fragile lost white woman just to avoid blame and i think this case is also very interesting because obviously on some level she was manipulated she did get conned she was the victim of fraud but at the same time she was responsible for staff and she conned other people you know the bus boys the waiters all of that out of their salaries and she does not, in the documentary, own up to it. She does not take full responsibility for it or any responsibility or even apologize. So the two things can be true at the same time. She could be a victim, but she can also be a perpetrator. And it's the same kind of complexities you see in the Chris Rock and Will Smith thing. There are so many layers to things. But then when we see her and we see like 
how she is treated we're just like oh she's just stupid but she's not just stupid i think she got away with a lot because she's a white woman in just the same way as will smith gets a very harsh reaction because he's a black man yes i mean there were many things about that documentary that drove me up the wall for example they never give you a time frame like you have no context for was this two weeks was this two years was this 10 years like we don't know when she met anthony shane and we don't know when they went on the run like give me some time markers the only time markers we kind of have is the day she was arrested and then when alec baldwin met his wife alec baldwin for some weird reason is in this documentary yeah, this this like innocent white woman thing, she really plays it up because you can see not in the interviews when she's being interviewed in the present, but in the past, you know, like she's a mature adult woman, but she wears her hair in these sort of like pigtails and they're bleach blonde and she has kind of like a, a doughy, innocent kind of demeanor, which is like she's a woman in society playing a part. They like defrauded and robbed not just people making minimum wage, but investors and she just gets away with so much. Even in the documentary, it's so unclear if she still believes all of these lies, if she still is believing in this cult. Like, as a perpetrator, she's not taking responsibility for the fact that a lot of people's livelihood depended on her. And she not only put people in a dangerous situation money-wise, but also broke their trust and there's no responsibility taken for that. And even when she does kind of like at some points allude to how bad she felt about things, not really. You don't have a sense that she actually grasps the reality of what's going on even years later, even after she went to jail for like three months or something. That's nothing for the fact that she, you know, stole so much money essentially and ran away from the authorities. And you're just thinking the treatment of like white women and black women is so different in our mainstream media. I think that if someone, you know, came to her defense, we would all be like, oh, someone's helping Sarma. Whereas someone came to Jaded Pinkett Smith defense and we jump on them. We're not fully interrogating the intersection of misogyny and race, at least not on a public platform when we discuss these things. You should all go watch Bad Vegan. It's confusing. I think I left the documentary with more questions afterwards and I knew nothing about it before. And I was like, wait, what is happening? Also the fact that the media so latched on to this thing of like they ordered pizza and that's how they got caught. It was such clickbait, but everywhere it was just like vegan woman brought down by pizza. And it kind of as a society, we do love seeing someone's downfall. Specifically when there's someone like a vegan who you know she was not just a vegan, she was a raw vegan, right? So she doesn't eat cooked food. And correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't raw vegans also the ones who only will eat food that like naturally falls down from stuff? I think that fruitarians, where they wait for the fruits to fall off the trees or the vegetables to like be right and fall off naturally. I explained this once, I remember to a friend of mine, we were like, oh yeah, those are fruitarians. So you don't harm the tree by picking the fruit. And her response was, can you kick the tree? Wait, but how do they eat anything then if they have to wait for things to fall? Don't things fall when they're rotting? Okay, never mind. That's completely beside the point. I'm getting off track here. But yeah, so we, we really relish in the downfall, specifically when someone is morally above us, right? Oh, she thinks she's better than us because she's a raw vegan and she eats natural food. And so when someone like that is brought down by eating a dairy cheese pizza, which... 
to be completely clear, her husband, who is not a vegan, ordered that, but the media really latched onto it. And I kind of think that, like, maybe there was something kind of similar, you know, at the works here with Will Smith. You know, we were saying before, when we were texting about Will Smith punching someone, we were both like, oh, yeah, they probably deserved it because Will Smith is this unproblematic person. And I think society really wants to see the downfall of an unproblematic black man because black men can't be unproblematic. They need to be toxic. They need to be violent. And so when he fell from grace, when he played into the cliche of what we think black men are like, you know, violence, we're all like, yes, we're going to relish his downfall. Yeah, I totally agree. I think everyone relished in the downfall of the vegan because people see vegans as sort of pure and they're kind of morally superior. So when you see vegan and then ordering a a Domino's pizza, everyone latched onto that thing. What's more interesting about this idea of purity and veganism in this documentary is I think she was also motivated I say this in order to like embrace the full complexity of this so yes she was a victim but also she was a victim because I think she was greedy she was promised a lot more money than she gave it was not like the women on the tinder swindler who were just giving money because they thought his life was in danger and that's how they got conned she got conned in a different way and then she also was buying in with this vegan narrative and in this world of, you know, Goop and I guess Alec Baldwin and New York and raw lasagna, which is the biggest crime, in my opinion. This, like, raw vegetable layered lasagna, just not good. Oh, yeah, that lasagna looked inedible. I was just like, why would you ever willingly eat that? Like, love yourself. Food is great. It can be vegetarian. It can be vegan. But honey, have some self-respect. Yeah, like, I like how we just get super distracted by the vegan raw lasagna. But the other thing is, in this world, there is a tendency also to think about, you know, purity and long life and stuff like that. So you can also see how she was manipulated. Like, these ideas are not so far away from this sort of sphere of New York vegan celebrity kind of world. So it's not such a leap that he found, the fraudster, found a way to sort of convince her. But it was also, he managed to fraud her because of her idea of superiority in some ways. And this is like, I think both you and I, have been listening to Maintenance Phase, which is a great podcast, which debunks wellness and health influences and myths. And they had this great episode on the wellness to QAnon pipeline. And this idea of purity, of whiteness, of purity also in the landscape, and all of this kind of fits together. There is a sort of fascism element to this <laughs> to this thought process as well and to her as well which which was also not interrogated in the documentary not to bring up eugenics or anything but kind of in this way that you know she thinks like she's the chosen one she's better she deserves to live forever her genes deserve to survive her dog deserves to be immortal i loki think she still thinks that like Leon, her beloved dog, is going to be immortal and going to live forever. Which like, I'm sure that her dog is lovely. And as a person who adores and loves animal, I can totally understand wanting your pet to live forever or wanting animals to live forever because they are amazing and perfect. But you kind of just think, 
wow, you really have to think super highly of yourself if you think that, oh, me and my dog are going to be immortal. Also, all the meanwhile, you know, people are facing genocide in the Uyghurs or people in Palestine. You're like, oh, yeah, cool. You're, you've been chosen to live forever. But, you know, fuck the rest of the world. Yeah, you're right. There's like a weirdly fascist eugenic sort of thing to it. Obviously, she's like super fake blonde, but she's got this like blonde hair, blue eyes kind of thing, which... What? I don't know. Yeah, cool. We'll uh, link to Bad Vegan and The Slap and all these other things in our newsletter. If you don't subscribe already, do it. All the links that we reference here will be in the newsletter. And with that said, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, be thin-skinned. If you don't find something funny, don't laugh at it or express your opinion about why you find it hurtful, harmful or simply bad joke. You don't have to laugh and go along with everything and take all sorts of abuse just to be a good sport. Thing two, when it comes to incidents like this, Take a moment, step back, and then critically engage with the responses, and most importantly, listen to the responses and the analysis of the affected group and their opinion and what they make of it. And thing three, interrogate who you feel sympathetic towards and who you don't. We're all conditioned and taught to have more sympathy for pretty white women than we are to black men, for example. Watch your own biases and tendencies to stereotype. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.